Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Simone, joined by the one, the only, Houdini, Dane Train, Duncan, Dirty Dane Draper. Dane, welcome. Hello, Brendan. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. This is not going to be a Falk in the Road podcast, just so people know up front, this is just going to be Dane and I actually like doing a serious FSU podcast. I think we just had to, to let people know. Right, Dane? No poop jokes. We're serious today. No, that's all you, by the way. But yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, poor Dane's taken strays for the last two times he's been on the pod. Basically, <laughs> I'm just setting him up for failure. I was worried about that though, coming into this like oh, Sonone and Dane pod, like people are clicking off immediately. Got Maybe that's why. Yeah, that's why I had to address it right away. Was for that mm-hmm. exact reason. Uh, was, you. Thank you. Uh, sometimes I can produce. Sometimes I can produce. So uh, the reason why it's Dane and myself. We got Chris Nee and Zach Blostein uh, driving back from Raleigh, a very dejected, not 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 a fun nine-hour <laughs> car ride uh, after uh, last night. So if you're listening to this, I guess, either on a Sunday evening or Monday morning, um, just depends. But yeah, Saturday's game against NC State was, it was a doozy, Dane. Uh, FSU squandered a 14-point lead in the second half, lost in, I, I don't even want to say dramatic fashion, like. I don't know the right phrasing. Like I've had time to marinate on a lot of this, and I'm it was still almost tra- it's almost sad how not dramatic it was. Anticlimactic it was. Anticlimactic is a great way to phrase it. That's why we got Dane on is to to help me get my thoughts on track. It was a 19 to 17 loss for the Seminoles, and one that man, this Dane, you know, like I'm not super emotional. You've been with, next to me in the press box with mm-hmm. games, and so I'm watching this from home, and I'm I'm pretty objective when watching these games. I usually don't let them affect me. Uh, at all but this one i was legitimately mad watching just because it, it i knew the implication of what a win would mean for florida state i knew how well the team was playing what they they could have even built on a bigger lead in the first half it all felt so good and and to watch it all unraveling slowly but surely in front of you was super frustrating yeah no i, I feel i mean you're not really an fsu fan to begin with so but i know what you mean but i mean i've I'm like I, I do. I mean, I like. I just it doesn't. Yeah, I'm not a diehard, I guess, but I I do enjoy the Seminoles. Yeah, like I I felt as I think I do a good job generally of staying pretty objective, and I think I'm you do. I stay level headed for being someone who is like raised up as a big Florida State fan or whatnot. I mean, I think I'm pretty good at that. But man, I haven't felt that like dejected from a game in a probably I guess since Jacksonville State. I even, guess even just then because it felt different, right? It wasn't like it was definitely State, different. Jacksonville State was shocking. That was it, hitting rock bottom and that yeah. sort of thing. This was with expectations all of a sudden on you, and you slowly watched a, a half of football like materialize and and realize what was happening. I think it was just such a massive missed opportunity, and that's 
the most broad you could put it because you, you didn't go in that game expecting to win, but you, you earned a 14 point lead, which, you know, should be some credit there for that. But, um, but you lost the game because you couldn't score a single point in the second half. And so many little mistakes on top of that, that you hope the this Mike Norvell team have, has like overcome since he's been here. Not only could they not score a point in the second half, they went one, two, three, four, five drives with just, I think, three yards of total offense in a row, five mm-hmm. consecutive drives. And then they had the, the nine drive, 70 yard final drive that ended in the Jordan Travis interception, which, which we'll get into. We're going to break this all down. Uh, the X's and old guys did the instant reaction pod on Saturday evening. And I'm really looking forward to their show of the actual film breakdown. I think whether you're listening to it in the podcast medium or watching the show, which I think is the best way to do it on the X and Dolls YouTube page, to actually see it. It's going to be super informative and super telling because it, it just was a so many different things that could have gone differently in Florida State still wins, Dane. But uh, that ineptitude on offense in the second half and, uh, the self-inflicted errors, the penalties, I think 75 yards of penalties in the second half, the Alex Mastromano uh, snafu. You learned that word yesterday. You like I that? Mm-hmm. What did you think it meant? You think it was just a typo when I put it in the story? Yeah, I took a second to try to figure out what you even meant, but I, yeah, I thought it was a typo. I thought I was helping you out. I felt good about myself. And you you were said, helping me out. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're dumb, not me. So there's so many different angles to take to talk about this game. Uh, First off, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to our sponsor because without a sponsor, like I don't know if I want to do this podcast. (laughs) And and someone wasn't basically making us financially incentivized to to do so, and and some obligation, like morally and ethically, just to, to follow through with what we promised. I, I don't know if I have an enemy to play by or Sinone, but I do want to address that we have an amazing sponsor and someone who is totally committed to Florida State. And Dane, Colin Turner of the Turner Group was as devastated as I was last night. I was getting 2 a.m., 3 a.m. text messages. Colin, I don't know what you're doing at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., but I felt the pain, buddy. I big felt sad. it. Yeah. It was big, sad, big, sad energy. And I, I felt it, dude. I was dreaming about Florida State football last night i had dreams that marcus woodson and renardo green were mad at at me some reason and i don't know why but i think that might i think that might say something about your like psychology about your your mental health to be honest yeah you could diagnose something in there coming out of that we'll get my wife on one day to diagnose me she's a therapist she diagnosed she diagnosed all of us and that would be fun that would be an episode (laughs) but (laughs) but uh the turner group has been in a short period of time, just a phenomenal sponsor for us because one, I really just enjoy talking to to Colin and I need to give a shout out to the Turner group uh, because they make closing on houses and buying houses and selling them easy. FSU made things difficult last night. You don't want things to be difficult. You want it to be as easy as possible. Uh, You don't want to have, a level of consternation and anxiety going into a something that has a, a substantial magnitude, like buying a house or like beating NC State on the road, and what that would that would mean for your your season. Uh, both pretty pretty big. You want someone who can help finish things at the end, and Colin Turner of the Turner Group can help that at, at an elite level. Uh, the Turner Group has closed on almost a hundred homes in the last year. 
Uh, they are a family shop. Like it's, you get a true like boutique experience of hands-on helping you close on houses. Uh, Colin and Amy are both Knowles. They're FSU fans. Uh, Amy works with sellers. Colin works with buyers. Uh, so shout out to the, the Turner Group if you're trying to buy a home uh, in the central Florida or just throughout the state of Florida or sell a home. Uh, that's your place to start. And please let them know that On the Bench sent you. Really easy. Just give Colin a call at 407-403-8546 or just Google the Turner Group. And that's you get to see all the five-star reviews and whatnot mentioned On the Bench. And yeah, if you've been on the fence about just even seeing what the home buying process would look like and you just want to complain about florida state football right now uh colin's your guy so yeah all right dan but where we're going to start here let's talk about the happy times first i think that's the place to go that first half man how good did that uh, for it to end with ryan fitzgerald making that 47 yard field goal and to see this celebration man you couldn't have told me like I could have seen them. I thought I thought there was a decent chance Florida State was going to make that game more interesting than it needed to be. I didn't think that this is a team that has that killer instinct yet. But I thought, like, man, that, that'll be a story that we'll be able to write and be able to talk about and this feel-good opportunity. And it became not even a not even a side note for that game, just based on how everything went. Such a disappointing fall from what happened in the first half to build that. You mentioned it, Dave, perfectly. 17 to three lead. You earned that 14 point lead. Mm-hmm. Could even been more. And uh, I guess let's talk about how FSU built the lead first. Yeah. Um, I mean, defensively, you did what you thought you might be able to do. You totally stopped them. Um, they hadn't really done anything on offense. Offensively, you found explosive plays, which is what you've been good at all year. Passing and running, you're a good explosive offense. You're not the most efficient offense, but you can be explosive. And you needed to be against this defense because you knew down to down basis they were going to to beat you on the game. And um, I thought they found more rushing success than than I thought. They looked good in the first couple drives. They it looked like they were getting what they wanted. Um, I mean, I remember Treshawn Ward. I don't know if it was the first rush, second rush of the game, whatever it was, but the blocking was was like perfect, and he slipped and fell for a four or five yard gain. But that that could have been great. And I thought behind, that was so behind Robert Scott, right? That was the left yeah. side outside zone to the left. Uh, I don't, I think it was counter actually. I think it was, oh, it was counter. Okay. But, um, and then there was a tra- uh, Trey Benson run where Mitch Emanuel kind of just didn't have enough length to, to kick a guy out and guy shoestring Trey Benson. I think it was probably down to the right side. Um, and that could have gone for a lot of yards too. And those plays were stopped, ended up being not so successful for FSU, but it was so encouraging to see that. And then they did break off the long runs. Um, and for that to just not be a thing at all in the second half, that was really disappointing. I wonder if injuries, you know, endurance with the team came into effect there. Um, maybe it's just adjust- adjustments by NC State, but I don't think FSU is doing anything fancy on those. It's just running their base offense and it was working so well. You made plays one-on-one down the field. Um, that Micah Pittman catch was fantastic. Is pretty sure the exact same play they ran on the last pass of the game. So, yeah. Yeah, th- there, was a, there was a lot going well in the first half. And, yeah, the ability to get Jordan Travis going as a runner put, 
pressure on NC State's defense. That was very clear. Uh, that second touchdown, uh, the one with Lawrence Toa Philly, where it was outside zone, uh, was a read option. Uh, and it was very similar to the 71-yarder. I think it was either the drive before or two drives before that Jordan Travis broke off. And the difference was the uh, field side linebacker uh, bit on the, the running back fake, that action on the Jordan Travis run. And then that same linebacker stayed home uh, on the Lawrence Philly touchdown play, and you're able to, to get a little gap and increase inside. Uh, Robert Scott on the left side was, uh, I'm going to stop short, revelatory isn't quite the right word, but he, he did help out tremendously and just a completely different dynamic in the run game, especially early on. I think he wore down a little bit as the game went on, uh, as Dane alluded to. I think some of the depth and, and just guys not being 100%. I mean, the offensive line in general, Darius Washington, I don't know if Demetri Emanuel is playing at 100%. He gets replaced in the lineup by Darius Washington at right guard. Darius looks fine throughout the game, actually pretty good in moments. Uh, and then he gets rolled up on, leaves the game, does not come back in the second half. Jason Turnantine had another subpar game. But like that, to be fair, that dude has, you saw an arm brace on. He looked bandaged up. He looked like a mummy. Uh, fitting. Uh, it's it's October, Halloween. See what I'm doing there, Dave? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, there's, there, I'm trying. Uh, Trayshawn Ward gets hurt in in the first half, and just there's so many different things that happen to where you, you kind of go into the second half offensively limited, but you showed at least the ability to do it uh, on the in the first half. And yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see what the X and Knowles guys say upon rewatching the film with the film review. Like, I don't know if NC State was doing anything tremendously differently in that second half. They were just controlling the line of scrimmage. I mean, they they set up second and long and third and longs constantly in that five drive stretch that we mentioned earlier, Dana. And that's really, I think where the game starts to change is the offense sputtered to nothing. And then everything else starts kind of uh, Mike Norville mentioned press after the game. Did you see that? Like I felt I felt it. This team seemed panicked. It seemed like it was pressing. This is a couple games in a row now where that's, that's emerged. I, I definitely think you did. I think, um, kind of proof of that i mentioned it to zach last night but like jordan travis wasn't having fun by the end of this game or late in the game he, he wasn't having fun that's kind of his thing his body right. language was uh, off. bad it yeah. was yeah it was it was bad that was dang clinking classes not <laughs> yes, i just was. don't want people i just don't want people to think i'm drinking and podcasting oh for sure yeah that's definitely not what you're actively doing as you say that um what <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, sure. Pressing. I think, um, I wonder if, I mean, we can talk about the play calling, like, uh, running the ball as much as they did in the second half. What was it? Uh, 68% of first downs were, were rushes. I wonder if maybe the, the rushing success you had in the first half led to that some, I mean, on top of being more conservative, um, so yeah, let, let's take. That's why I don't have this podcast script. I think just wherever it, it takes us is is where this conversation is going to go, Dane. And I, let's let's talk about the play calling. And and people who've listened to this podcast know, like, I'm not the guy who's critiquing play calling. Typically, like, I understand that the the coaches who are making million dollar millions of dollars to to call games uh, understand football exponentially better than I do or ever could. Um, so, so I understand that. But what we do have is the gift of of hindsight, right? And we can look back at different analytics and whatnot and see what was working, what wasn't. And yeah, FSU ran the ball on first down 
a ton, 68% that you mentioned, I think, in the second half. And it was largely unsuccessful. Uh, I will pull up Jordan Travis's passing stats here in the second half. But just to give you an idea, so FSU couldn't run the ball in the second half. What what that does to the offense, it is not, this is not even from like a rhythm or groove standpoint, which I think is huge and explains part, part of Jordan Travis's uh, kind of demise in the second half. But just even from like a having good downs to operate in and, and playing, playing odds and trying to stack success on like what's an easier pass or what isn't on second or third down. In the third quarter, Jordan Travis passed on second and 14, third and seven. That was categorized as a drop. Uh, there were at least five drops that I counted on the day. Uh, second and seven, third and seven, first and 10, third and 17, second and 10, third and 10. This is taking us into the fourth quarter. And then first and 10 was Jordan Travis's first interception. Uh, the remainder of his passing attempts happened on that last drive, second and nine, second and 12, second and eight. And then he throws one more interception, Dane, which we will get into, obviously, eventually. And that was on second and eight. I mean, so I haven't added all that up, but he's facing 10 yards to go on almost every single pass he he has on average in that second half. That's not successful formula. No, not at all. That third and seven you mentioned in the beginning of the second half, that was Johnny Wilson's drop, the one that hit him and just yes. like phased to him. Um yeah, and that kind of stacks on top of each other. You have a scoreless quarter, and you go and have another scoreless quarter, but that, I don't know, you're into momentum. I mean, that doesn't help you there. I kind of think I th- the, the def- NC State's defensive front just obviously just controlled FSU's offensive line, and I think that's a bit of what you expected going into the game. But I think you can be disappointed with if you're going to be critical to play calling, which almost always is pretty dumb, in my opinion. Um, Call a touchdown play, Dane. Call it. <laughs> but running into that wall probably isn't isn't the way to go as often as they did. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And then you start saying, well, like maybe you can roll Jordan out a little bit. And that's eventually what they do on that first down and, and 10 interception. But like at that point, again, he had gone almost a – he had one completion in the second half up to that point. And again, everything he was throwing was second and 10, third and 10, third and 17, third and seven, second and seven. Like, just not, not what you do. And NC State has a really good defense. I, I think I'd feel better about this, Dane. Like, if FSU came out and just played like how it played in the second half and the first half, and you're just like, okay, you just can't do anything at this point. And you're just outmanned and, and outmatched. And, you're not there as a program yet. Like that's was would to me like emotionally be more acceptable than you're able to legitimately move the ball with, with relative success, like in consistent success, you weren't able to finish drives uh, with drops kind of killing two, not kind of killing, definitely killing two drives in the first half where you don't get points when you're within the, the 30 yard line. Uh, but you were able to move the ball. And you were able to have some success. And then for that to completely disappear, like, is an indication of, like, con- it indicates concern on my end. Like, there's something that was not right, uh, whether it was play calling or, or what what have you. Or pressing or whatever that mm-hmm. is, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And, and there was there was points left on the board, like you're saying, the first half, too. Like, uh, 
there there was room for improvement on top of a, a dominant half, and then they came out totally flat. The pe- just, people will want to talk about the first drive on in the second half on defense. That's two weeks in a row where the defense gets just walloped on the first drive. And the defense played well throughout the game against a, a fairly – oh, by the way, NC State starting quarterback got hurt. <laughs> like, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Uh, he, he was out for a good chunk of the game. But um, I don't even know that was as impactful as, like, some of the other things we're talking about. Like, FSU's defense was controlling controlling the Wolfpack. Yeah, and that – uh, drive coming out of half was like the only the only drive that looked like that the entire game the only mm-hmm. possession NC State had that looked like that so that's a concern of its own that is something to look for next week first drive out of half but um but the, yeah the defense played exceptionally well and 16 points given up in the second half doesn't do it justice at all because the offense put them in such terrible situations the special I mean the punt team put them in terrible situation there and they made the most of it. They ended up, uh, what, NC State gets the ball in like first and 10 from the 15, something like that. And they ended up kicking a 53-yard field goal. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it didn't work out. Three points is three points. Um, but, no, they played exceptionally well. They didn't deserve to lose the game. And the offense, uh, however, whatever negative word you want to use, they just couldn't get anything going at all. Press, drop balls, mistakes, penalties, you know, whatever it is. Those, two all weeks, of it. Two weeks in a row now, Dane, for the offense. You're mentioning that and just it feels like a lot like last week, too, where the offense just hasn't delivered and, and carried its end of, of the bargain. Uh, I know a lot of people were critical on the defense, about the defense last week against Wake Forest, and uh, it wasn't pretty at times, but results are part of the, this whole thing that we're evaluating with football, especially – for FSU as it gets further into the Mike Norvell tenure, like we're judging points allowed, how you get there is part of it. But like that, the end result is you held Wake Forest at that point, a season low in points uh, and the offense had a season low in points. The Seminoles did. And this is now you take another step back. It's another season low in points for the Seminoles went from 21 to 17. Uh, the offense and, and Jordan Travis looks like it is swiftly moving in the wrong direction. I guess so. Yeah, I think two constants um, or a constant between NC State and the Wake game is your offensive line getting mauled up front. You know that doesn't put you in a good situation. You're you're at a big disadvantage there, but coming up with nothing is is not. You know that doesn't have to happen either. But um, but I don't think Jordan Travis is like falling off a cliff or something. He hasn't been put in good situations, like you're saying with uh all the different passing downs he was put in early on the entire second half of the NC State game. And um, he did have great moments. That first half was really good from him. It just all deteriorated. I think if the offensive line could could help him out a bit more, could get the offense into a rhythm, which seems impossible right now, I think he could look far different. I mean, that first half, they, they did get into a rhythm, or more so at least. You have some explosive plays. You can get the defense on their heels just a, just a little bit. And he can take advantage of that. And the team didn't help him out a ton in that. But, yeah. So, to, to make sure I'm I'm clear what you're saying, so you're kind of thinking, Dane, that some of this is what we're seeing with the offense the last two weeks. It starts with the offensive line? And, I think so. Okay. They've, they're just getting dominated. <laughs> they're getting dominated. And the first, I think the biggest, the biggest difference just in the process of things just watching down to down in the first half to the second half is 
is finding some success in the ground, I would think, um, that you didn't have at all in the second half and you did have in the first half. Yeah. Um, uh, yard, yard per carry in the before contact in the first half was like six and change. And then the second half, it was one and change. I mean, yeah, there, there you go. That's great in the first half and horrendous in the second. It's, that yeah. stuff matters a ton. You're, you're a run first team and you build your rhythm on that and that sort of thing. It just couldn't happen. But with Jordan Travis and like, yeah, I'm not hitting the panic button with him. Yeah. It's been two frustrating weeks for a guy who, is less than a month removed from a knee injury that I was surprised that he played against Boston college, to be honest, um, the following week. So a guy who, who may not be a hundred percent, but no one at this point in the season is, is a hundred percent, but still uh, someone who started off the season so sharply and has struggled in key moments, the last two games, uh, I mean, the stat line, and this is with drops, this is with uh, us fully admitting that, he was not put in great situations uh, on Saturday evening. He was 15 to 30 for 181 yards, one touchdown, two interception, passer rating of 98.3. Now ESPN's Q, uh, QBR and PFF's which is subjective uh, data uh, that they put uh, a number two. Both had him graded out pretty well, if, if, if I'm accurate on that. So like it, the drops hurt his stat line, obviously, when you have five drops, like 20 to 30 with, you know, maybe you're not pressing for those interceptions. It, it all looks fairly different. But the more important thing, and we'll circle back around to this that you mentioned earlier, it didn't look like he was having fun out there. Not only that, man, he was also like, and after the first interception, he seemed to almost be like kind of pouting. He had a frown on his face on the sideline. We had to see Mike Rambell trying to keep him up and keep him engaged. And we saw him starting to kind of get frustrated with his wide receivers. This is coming off a week against Wake Forest in which I was told that he, there was bickering on the sideline with him and and some skill players and uh, teams feed off their quarterback. Right. And and that to me seems like we're seeing a little bit of, of that show up a little bit of whether it's uh, maturity, whether it's confidence, I don't know the right way to phrase it. We're still kind of evaluating like what, what's happening here. But Jordan just hasn't seemed like Jordan from a charisma standpoint and from a play standpoint the last two weeks. And, and to me, Dane, I think that's that's more important than the numbers. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, yeah, I don't want to say he's like immature or anything like that. We know he's well. He, that the confidence, the immaturity, confidence, not yeah. immaturity, but yeah, yeah. The confidence, maturity, the the leadership ability was like a plus before. It was a was something that he brought that was a big advantage i think and that hasn't shown up when it's needed to i think and now he's allowing the situation to dictate his mood i think is maybe like it was a positive he was he was dictating terms before and now terms are kind of dictating how he responds and that's what's changed or seems like it's changed and that doesn't mean he, he can't get out of it either um let's go into that last drive now dane because i think this is probably like uh, one of the last things we have to talk about, other than the Alex Mastermano punt, which I, I just I don't know, like I think he just panicked, right? Like that's yeah, I don't know how you really practice that a ton either. He's an Australian guy; he's probably doesn't have the greatest like football IQ. Just being honest, I mean, you know, he'd probably tell you that. I don't know. Um, yeah, he in a moment like that, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably panic too. 
Um, you you would definitely tough. panic. Yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. I but feel yeah, very like, empathetic for him because I know I do the same thing. Yeah, but. it was it wasn't like the South Carolina State punter against UCF earlier this year, where it was like ten <laughs> yards downfield happening. Like it was like a yard or two beyond the line of scrimmage, and I think he would have gotten the first down. I mean, you can see the NC State one of the guys on the coverage unit like turn and, and run as he looks like Masters about to punt it. So like, I'm not a hundred percent sure it would have been a first down, but probably likely that he he picks up the first there and yeah you don't really practice that a ton i don't know how you kind of count for that so anyways let, let's get into the final drive fsu moves the ball downfield jordan looked good he was getting the ball out quickly offensive line was protecting him uh the catch by johnny wilson was a redemptive catch on the sideline it's kind of the second time that happened where he had a drop then has a big catch down the sideline about a drive later kind of same thing here uh, you get the Trey Benson uh, gets gets whacked, uh, face mask to face mask, helmet to helmet, targeting penalty. So you're aided by you know 15 yards on that. By the way, I thought the the officials were pretty subpar. Like, I mean, ACC officials need to be a little bit better, a lot better. Lights need to be on at the stadium. Like, come on, like people get are coming. Pe- yeah, people are coming for your shit. Like, get it together. Like, this is. God forbid that you protect FSU in a game a week ahead of a primetime contest with Clemson, which could be a ranked team. No, you give most of the 50-50 stuff to NC State. Like the Josh Farmer car, I'm still confused on. I still don't understand. Anyways, rambling. objectively wrong. That's just not what the rule is, but here we are. It's okay. Here here we are. And that, that led to three points, basically. I mean, that again, it's a two-point game, and that was a drive in which NC State scored a field goal on. I'm, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, or if you know off the top of your head, Dane, but... Um, that that helped extend a drive, which NC State probably doesn't get points on, if not for that 15-yard penalty. So, uh, so anyways, FSU is moving the ball. I'm pulling up the play, the drive chart here to make sure I have it, uh, the numbers and, and whatnot accurately in front of me. So, the the Twitter discourse, which it's always great to use Twitter as a barometer for logical, <laughs> rational places right. to have conversation, but. Uh, working backwards, people wanted, at least some wanted FSU to play, quote unquote, play for a field goal. Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald made the 47 yarder before halftime, and that was great. Before that drive began, Dane, I think I put in the group thread, oh God, like this, this <laughs> yeah. game might cut. This is going to, like, they're going to have to have this process, whether mm-hmm. Ryan Fitzgerald is going to kick it. Uh, but there's gray area in between being aggressive and playing for a touchdown and playing for a field goal. There's playing to uh, put yourself in a position to make a choice on either and to give yourself an optimal decision when the time comes. And I think that's what they were doing very well. They were patient was still running the football. They were passing it. Sometimes they were forcing the clock to go down to make sure NC state wasn't going to get enough, uh, get the ball back with enough, enough time on the clock uh, potentially was going to force them to use their timeouts and that kind of takes us to that second and eight play. But what did you think going into it, Dane, of just the, the general management and how it was setting up? I guess what were you interpreting as it's happening and, and then in hindsight as well? Yeah, I don't see anything really wrong with anything going on. I mean, playing like for a touchdown or for a field goal, it, they were thrown to the end zone because they wanted to score there. You don't. I don't think you're factoring in a great possibility of throwing a pick. You don't think that throw to Micah Pittman is the last throw of the game or the last throw on offense, unless it's a touchdown, you know, it's not really going into it. Um, 
I mean, if that doesn't work out, then maybe next play you do throw to Johnny Wilson or whatever what people wanted them to do. Um, but yeah, they were already in a good position to where they could kick a field goal. You take your shots, you kick if they don't work, and you get out of there. But running the ball to set up for a field goal with the guy that one attempt earlier, everyone didn't even think you had a kicker. People were saying you have to go for it every fourth down because you literally don't have a kicker. Um, he hits one kick, and now people are upset because Mike Marvell didn't play for a game-winning field goal with that same kicker. That's just a little ridiculous. Yeah, but he um, tried to totally salt the clock and just run, 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 and yeah, then kick. So he can kick lost. a 44-yard field goal or whatever yeah. it was. If yeah. he had, if he yeah. had lost that, that, that would have been negligible. At that or neg- right. negligent, negligent, not negligible. Negli- negligent sounds right. Negligent sounds right. Just go with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's something you're teaching me, you know. You just gotta try to sound confident, even if you know it's kind of like uh, you just gotta go with it. Quite, um, the, quite the snafu of us, Dane. Right, of course. Um, but yeah, I don't think that was handled super incorrectly. Jordan Travis had a read there. He sees this guy one on one earlier in the game. Micah Pittman, I don't know, his roommate or best friend, whatever it is, a guy he absolutely trusts. Fishing um, buddies, fishing buddies comes up with a big catch. Um, you give them the same opportunity you did last time. And not only is it incomplete, but it's picked off, which is the first time we've seen that all year too. Um, I don't know. I don't think, I think that the chance of that happening is minimal enough to where you can't factor it into your decision. And it's just what happened. And that's unfortunate. And Jordan Travis. So on that play, FSU has uh, empty backfield, which I like, like you're able to give the quarterback a clean picture. You force NC state to dictate not to dictate to to show its hand basically of this is our pass rush this is our likely mm-hmm. coverage at the field yeah and you and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of that this upcoming week against Clemson with their defensive line we saw that last year against Clemson uh, when when you are at a bit of a disadvantage that is something that the staff likes to do is spread the field and clear clear up the picture for the quarterback and the offensive line um, but I digress so you get Micah Pittman in the slot. And it looks like it's going to be a one-on-one. Now, that throw does not have to be made by Jordan Travis. Uh, but it was the same, more or less, it was the same concept. It's, it's a Texas concept in which the outside receiver runs kind of like a, a bit of a curl uh, to take down a, a corner, the outside cornerback. And ISO's up, in theory, a one-on-one with a slot fade type of deal with, with the slot corner. Or sorry, the slot receiver. Uh, and in this case, I think you had two to the left. Uh, the first touchdown with Micah, you had a, a th- you had trips uh, with Ontario Wilson was also inside. Uh, so I'm trying to paint the picture here. But so you have two wide receivers to the left, and you get basically your your look of uh, we got Micah Pittman one on one scored on this almost exact same play, same concept earlier in the game. And Jordan Travis throws the ball to a place basically where he thinks his wide receiver is going to be at the top of the route. The safety uh, gets a little handsy with Micah Pittman, but it's brief. So it's not a ton to where there's going to be a penalty called on it, but I don't think you're allowed to touch a wide receiver 15 yards downfield, uh, especially if, if you're kind of chucking his, his shoulder pads. What that does is that Micah Pittman with that contact ends up running inside of the safety. And that is a no-no. That is a Texas pattern is my understanding. And 
it, in Texas, uh, the way FSU runs it, uh, they that slot fade there is called MOR, must outside release is the rule there for the wide receiver. Micah Pittman, no matter what happens, has to work his way outside. And he does not. That does not mean that Jordan Travis had to throw the ball as early as he did. Uh, but in his mind, there's no way the quarterback is going to assume that the wide receiver is going to run the wrong route. And it should not be intercepted. It's basically what I'm trying to get to. It may not be a completion. It may be, I guess, ultimately intercepted if the DB makes an amazing play. But the DB shouldn't be able to make a clean, easy interception like that. The wide receiver should be in position uh, for a 50-50 ball. And so that... Dane, that's basically what happened is Michael Pittman did not run their correct route uh, for what the rules of that pattern and concept are indicating for my for my understanding of, of the play call and what FSU typically does in that situation. So it probably wasn't a terrible play call. That's <laughs> what you're no. saying. No, I mean, so I yeah, so, didn't need to throw that either. Jordan either. didn't have to throw that. The, you know, Mike Norvell said after the game that they had five different options five different receivers that were all like guys they could have gone to uh on that on that play it seemed like a little bit of frustration there if i'm reading the tea leaves of of the decision that was made i don't think jordan was happy with this decision uh i don't think he was happy if i were jordan i would be happy with what micah did and micah had great moments in the game he also had some moments of frustration like the penalty after jordan's first interception um so take the good with the bad there's a guy pressing trying to make plays and in an expanded role that he hasn't had. He has more touchdowns this season than he had in his entire Oregon career. Like Michael Pittman's been a positive for you. But again, we talk about panic. We talk about uh, pressure and, and whatnot like that, that showed up there. Uh, what I did not love was being quote unquote aggressive on second and eight. Um, you can, you had options like people will point to on that and that it's always easy. Like looking back at a play like, Oh, Johnny Wilson was open coming open over the middle and you could have gotten the first down there. Like, yeah, you could have, uh, I would have been okay with a more safe, like rollout concept or something where Jordan has the ability to run or throw. Uh, but we also saw, I guess what that looked like Dane <laughs> earlier in the game, yeah, when he rolled up to the left, there. it was an interception. So like when you're getting your ass kicked on the offensive line in the trenches, like nothing feels great. Um, yeah. I just, I'm just disappointed. Like they, they had a, they had a chance. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. They had yeah. a chance. And I think dude, it goes back to last week with not, not executing the little details correctly. That play is a perfect example of it. Wide receiver doesn't do the right thing that he's supposed to do. The quarterback doesn't make the, the optimal read and it ends in disaster. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> i think um uh, i mean going back to the uh you're saying you don't love the call in second and eight i think uh, when the play ended at least there was 38 seconds left in the game uh second and eight's a passing down unless you're setting up for a field goal which i don't agree with um and it's that slot fades your bread and butter to a guy who 
it worked earlier in the game. It won with, yeah. Yeah, I I don't see a, a problem with it. And again, you don't factor the an interception into that call either. If anything, it's a safer play, right? Among the passing plays. Uh, it, it should be, in theory, that should be a really safe play that does not ever end in an interception. The quarterback puts the ball in a good place. But Jordan, I think, put the ball in hindsight. And when I wrote about it this morning and watched it a couple of times after doing like more research on it and, and know what the exact concept was, I don't think the ball was put in a bad place. I think it was just the timing of it was not ideal and obviously shouldn't have thrown it. I think he threw it a little early. Um, but it, I, I do agree with you, Dane, in this. Like, I didn't love it. I, I I didn't love going five wide and and taking a shot into the end zone there, but I don't think it was like egregious. I don't think it was this uh, pitchfork and and torches type of type of play call or, or idea. Like, I, I mean, I think it was fine. I think you would have. I don't think it was optimal, but I don't think it was egregious either. Is I guess how I phrase it. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a whole lot of play calls in the game, and rarely are they something terrible that was just ridiculous to call um whether they work or not it's different but that's that's different where do we go from here what do, i mean is there anything else on the game do we want to kind of turn the page to to clemson week coming up but anything you want to get off your chest where do we go next <laughs> i mean i mean in the end it's a really disappointing loss because you put yourself in the position to win the game like you should have won that game because you earned you earned the the shot to win the game um and then you didn't, you, you collapsed and that's disappointing because that's something that's, that's more mental. And we thought that this team had like grown out of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even like you said, um, you said that you thought NC state would probably club their way back into this game, into that game, because that's, that's kind of something that this team has let happen in the past. Um, but, but against BC, we thought maybe that was like the BC game was encouraging and knowing that they could dominate a team for half and then dominate them again for a set, for another half, mm-hmm. you know, they could, they could keep their foot on the throat. Right. But also BC is a far less talented team than you are at this right. point. It's pretty clear. And far less talented than NC state. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. More talented than Florida state at this point. Um, I think that was just frustrating. You were, you were almost playing with house money. Like you went, you went there, you played with house money, you got up big, and then all of a sudden you got nervous that you yeah. had a bunch of chips and you're like, oh God, what what if I win a few more hands? Maybe I can pay off my mortgage. <laughs> and that's kind of what that felt like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so disappointing because you were so close to that, this massive win. But in the end, looking back on it, you you covered a three and a half point spread uh, in Raleigh in prime time versus a team that was supposed to beat you. Um Going into the game it's and okay. going into the season, like this was, you know, but it changes when you have a 14 point lead at halftime. Yeah. But then again, you earned that, you know, you earned you that lead. Yeah. You earned and... the right to lose the lead, too. <laughs> right. Um, it... <sighs> but you didn't, you didn't completely underperform. And uh, I don't know. There's a lot to look at in this game, I guess. And uh, there's a lot to overreact to as well. But. We'll see how they respond to Clemson. That's really what matters most at this point. Yeah, it's a huge game, chance to kind of recalibrate. I thought they did a really good job of doing that after the Wake Forest game. I will say one trend that we're starting to see is the sample size. We can, I guess, throw away. Yeah, let's throw away 2020. Uh, I think I could find some sample or some examples from that, but that may not be a fair year to, to, to do that just because of all the circumstances of 2020. I think we've seen that this team does much better 
so far under Mike Norvell through these two seasons of of him as the head coach with with his team intact and having full offseason and whatnot when expectations aren't high. Seems like this team does better in that regard. I could point to when the Notre Dame game, he played well, and then the next week he had expectations against Jacksonville State. We we saw what happened there. Uh, you battled back from an 0-4 start, and last year against Florida, he had a chance to play for something meaningful. And I had a coach tell me at the time, like after that game, like we lost our minds. I mean, you need a coach to tell us that. Like we saw, we saw them lose their minds in in real time with just guys making uh, careless penalties. The Ontario Wilson uh, muff punt, uh, and then this year too, like there's some expectations against LSU, but not a ton, not a ton. Um, You're the underdog in that game. You're yeah. playing in a tough environment. Yep. And yeah. and you play with house money and, and you capitalize on it. But even then they got up late in the game and, and they and then they tried to give that one away. They didn't. And I give them a ton of credit for that because they played that one extra play. And that is the culture that Mike Norvell has established that this team will play hard. Uh, but then the Wake Forest game when all of a sudden you're ranked, they they seem to press there. And then NC State, they went in as the underdog as soon as they had a nice comfortable lead. Again, pressure. They cracked under pressure. That that's just been where this program is. I think this is kind of the lose close, win close, like transition that we're seeing. Dane is like this team is still trying to find a way to like it's getting better. Uh, I think we're seeing that in live time, but like this loss did feel it. It felt like indicative of like a team that just doesn't have that killer instinct yet, and and doesn't do well when expectations shift on it. Yeah. Shift. Let me enunciate. Shift on it. Yeah, and um, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's it's more noticeable because the games you're mentioning are are games that, I mean, not like Jacksonville State and stuff, but like Notre Dame, like uh, like LSU, like Wake Forest, NC State. These are games. I don't know about Wake Forest. I don't know how if, if they're more talented than you or whatnot. But like the margin of error with the, the talent you have on this roster, especially in the current state of the roster and injured self, um, is so minimal, and you can't yeah. make these mistakes. But uh, you have to outcoach. You have to outplay. You have to win every single margin there. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So as if this roster continues to develop in the right direction and continues to be more talented year after year that should disappear just in, just because of that, you know, that should happen less, but it's still worth noting because it's a pattern. And, um, and you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't, that's a pattern that is alarming because I mean, it's just alarming. You can't be giving, giving up that many points in the second half when you're going up the way you have been. And well, Miami last year too. I don't know if you mentioned that. Oh, yeah, that was uh, actually kind of similar to this NC State game where, uh, one, I think you should have had a bigger lead early on with with what you did. You didn't capitalize on a few things, and then you allowed it to kind of slip away. Uh, this was you just – you finished on that last drive against Miami. And so – but yeah, very similar. It's a good point, Dane. Yeah, this could have looked a lot like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to attribute the last play to. I, it kind of goes along with that, but at the same time, if that doesn't happen – this definitely could have looked a lot like Miami. Yeah. Just didn't. I don't know. Well, and, and then the group thread after after games, during games, I think we've all pretty much caught you. This is this is a new Knowles 24-7 uh, that, I mean, Dane's been 
around for for months now and we've known Dane well before he he joined us but I mean Brett being newish since the spring Dane being newish since the offseason uh the group thread is just it's interesting to see like the dynamic now that we have a season in play like personalities take over and during games I would venture to say that Dane is the most I don't even say optimistic like you're the most analytical and you don't get rattled emotionally and so that allows you to like kind of look at what's happening of like, okay, this, this is what's happening. And I don't think it's good or bad. It's just what's happening. Whereas <laughs> someone else, <laughs> Zach, let's <laughs> yeah. listen to this later. Get mad. Um, has kind of this, like, uh, cause he's, he's been covering this team for three years now. So he's seen it. He was part of the Willie Taggart era. Like he's seen this, this program, the worst case, like a uh, scenario kind of unfold. So, it's just interesting hearing your tone in this podcasting and talk to you about this in depth. You don't seem anywhere near as bummed out about it as say poor Zach and Chris driving home from Raleigh. That man, that drive through South Carolina is freaking brutal on 95. That's awful. Two lane highway. What are we doing there? Uh, not even as much as me who I'm, I'm disappointed. This, I wore this one a little bit. Uh, I'm not like sky's falling, but uh, I'm not feeling great the next day. You seem kind of, okay with with life right now and kudos to you for that i well i don't know it's i was trying to explain to zach right that like this is just another piece of the puzzle that we'll look back on in a couple months as like the season and um i don't know there's just not a real need for like a ton of knee-jerk reactions to this nothing happened that was so crazy i think we pointed out what actually matters like the pattern that we're seeing potentially in a pretty small sample size still because we haven't seen it so many times and when we have seen it a large majority is against teams that are supposed to be you and are supposed to be able to come back against you as the less talented team um but there's still patterns and they need to be noted but um yeah i don't know it's a tough loss but it's college football and a lot of tough losses happen um you can i do things like uh i have this i'm in this thing called uh, it's like the womble cup um shout out terry womble rest in peace uh the womble cup you draft four different teams and basically i'm following closely these four different teams and air force and um and appalachian state are two of them and those are two teams that are considered well coached and solid teams going into this year and they just had terrible losses and they have had terrible losses earlier in the year. It's just college football, and we're so narrow-minded on this Florida State team, but this has happened all over the landscape of college football, and it always does. So losing in a game that you're supposed to lose by two points to NC State, it's just not – nothing crazy has to come out of it. We can look back on this and be happy with the season and see this as like <laughs> – Brent is looking at me like I'm Well, crazy. I was going to tell you to go – yourself and i was making a note i was making a note because oh. i was i was pretending that i was all the fans who don't want to hear that right now and so oh. i have to i was making a note to myself to go edit me telling you to go yourself there we go again 52 minutes and 33 <laughs> dang go yourself we don't need oh. your we don't need your nuance and context and your zazlo womble cup or whatever it is i don't know i we'll look back on the end of the season and this will be an unfortunate loss and that really stinks but come on I mean, what if is if injuries don't completely take over this team and they respond well after a bye week? You know, maybe they maybe they beat Clemson. Who knows? That probably isn't going to happen. But 
maybe they do. I don't know. But at this point, like nine and three is, is kind of realistic. And that's crazy to think for people saying that someone should be fired. Like there's people saying that, like, yeah, well, that's what are just, we doing? That, that is the side of the spectrum. That's fairly ridiculous. Um, yeah. Now Mike Norvell has done know. a good job with this, a very good job with this season and a great job. I think building the program and the culture, uh, uh, this one game does not change that. I do need to see the team respond against Clemson. We're going to talk about that throughout the week. Uh, we're going to have a ton of recruiting information on those 24 seven, like even as we're doing this podcast, like the confirmations of their visitor list. And so folks, I have to tell you, if you are a recruiting fan, if you want to know the most information, the most accurate and up-to-date information about Florida state recruited, and, and that's the lifeblood of a program, I am biased, I'm objective, but the work that Zach and Dane and Chris do to confirm recruits who are visiting to get intel on like what's happening with future visits, where uh, current commits are going, like uh, the amount of information that those guys get and get first, it's second to none in this market. Uh, I I implore you to sign up for Nose 24-7 if you want the most accurate, up-to-date recruiting information. And sometimes I throw out a, a wet fish there too for people to read about with recruiting. Big time, but, Brennan Scoop. Yeah, I don't always do Scoop, but when when I do. They're always pretty hefty. Thank you. Pretty big loads in there. They call me hefty big loads and known for nothing. Should we end the podcast? Probably. Really? Is there anything else? We're good? <laughs> All right, Dave. Just scream out sticking the landing. Say, say sticking the landing, then we're out of here. We we stuck that landing and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we stuck the landing and we're out of here, Brendan. Let's go. For for Dane Draper, I'm Brendan Sinone. For Chris Dean, Zach Wallstein, and God knows where in South Carolina right now. I've been on the bench. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this got you through a rough uh, 48-hour stretch there. We'll talk to you later this week. Taking the landing. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.